Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome to episode 280 with my guest, Sarah Goodson. Her husband, Zach, is also sitting in uh, on the episode, and his episode is going to air next week, and she sits in. Uh, on his episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Whether you need a landing page, a beautiful gallery, a professional blog, or an online store, it's all included with your Squarespace website. Start your free trial today at squarespace.com and enter offer code MENTAL to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace. Set your website apart. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour. A place for honesty about all the battles in our heads, from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas and sexual dysfunction, to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. It's not a doctor's office. I'm not a therapist. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. The website for this show is mentalpod.com. Mentalpod is also the Twitter handle you can uh, follow me at. And uh, please go check out uh, our website. Uh, There's a forum. You can read blogs. You can fill out surveys. Maybe we'll read your survey on the show. You can see how other people have uh, filled out surveys. Um, And you can go to uh, the website and support support the show as well. Um, Thank you for your concerns. Uh, Last week, I was not feeling very well. I was kind of in a trough of depression. And... um, it uh i'm feeling much better this week but thank you to those of you that um um sent warm hugs thoughts wishes unicorn kisses and rainbow pillows thank you all um you know that's like i said in last week's episode the one thing i've learned is Whatever it is you're going through, it will pass. And and I was really, really happy that it passed within uh, a couple of days. It's almost like depression is almost like a really big hardball movement. I would like that on my gravestone. Let's read some surveys. 
Let's read some surveys before I pause this, go back, and erase it. This is a struggle in a sentence survey, and this was filled out by Sonic Trash, and she writes about having misophonia. Um, like another hot tack being pushed into my brain every time someone bites down on anything. At this point, I just try not to go out anymore. I can't imagine how annoying having misophonia has got to be. Allie, uh, who's a teenager, writes about um, being a sex crime victim. Uh, being a victim of a childhood of childhood sexual abuse is is being terrified of surgery, not because of the surgery itself, but because you'll be unconscious and at the mercy of the surgeons. Um, she writes about being autistic. Autistic. It's like having frayed, faulty wires under your skin. A snapshot from her life. When my music teacher said, your mom was wrong, you can sing, I realized he was the first adult in my life to tell me that my mother was wrong about me. Good for him. Um... And then this is filled out by, this one is by Leah, and she writes about, she's a teenager, she writes about her anxiety. All your worries are one long rope. Both ends of the rope are tied together. That's pretty profound. So it took me a minute to, to understand that one. Um, and then a snapshot from her life, sitting in the darkness of my bedroom, crying my eyes out, trying to think of a reason not to end everything as I listen to my mom and stepdad joke around about their day downstairs, completely clueless. Please go talk to them. Please go talk to them. You're worth it. And they would want to know what you're going through. And then Ashley, uh, this is a happy moment from Ashley, and she writes, uh, I overheard a new co-worker say something about having OCD this morning. In my experience, when someone says that, they just mean they're super organized. But I had a feeling she didn't mean that, so I messaged her and asked if she really had OCD. I was so worried she would think I was weird, but she told me she was diagnosed last year. We talked a bit, and even though our OCD symptoms are not exactly the same, we found lots of similarities. We're both on meds and need to go back to therapy, and we're both the first person diagnosed with OCD that the other has met. It brought tears to my eyes to finally meet someone who understands my struggle. I'm so happy to know I'm not alone. I fear that I'm inadequate. I fear that I'm inadequate. So recently I've been punching myself a lot. Sometimes I feel like my full-time job... Mental illness. ...is convincing myself... I'm so alone. ...why... Hypervigilance. ...I should try to do something. I hate my kids seeing me like that. I just imagine killing people. I woke up with rats in my hair. They warp reality. Am I losing myself or am I becoming myself? I go back to bed. Hiding underneath the sofa while people were shooting outside the house. I was able to get myself out of Scientology. Put a gun to my mother's head and I was 11 years old. And you're just garbage moving from one person's house to the next person's house and you just hope they don't throw you out like garbage. You know, so I planned my suicide. Because you won't ask for help. I'm asking for help. I'm not pretending everything's okay. I'm not trying to do it alone. I'm really happy that I did it because a lot of good things have happened since then. That, that option just evaporated and I'm, I'm not going to kill myself. I don't think I have what the woman who is not right for me anyway <laughs> wants. I'm here with uh, Sarah Goodson, who I have known for five years maybe. 
through support groups, three years, four years, something four, like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, her husband, Zachary, is also sitting sitting in, and he may be chiming in some stuff. And we will be recording him at some point in the future. He's not off the snide. Um, <laughs> these guys are both um, good friends of mine who recently married. They, they met in one of the support groups uh, we go to. And... Um, we're going to talk about your story uh, tonight, Sarah. We're, uh, can I ask how old you are? Are you comfortable with that? Yeah, yeah. I'm about to turn 32. Okay. <clears throat> I remember 32, also yeah. known as the 90s. <laughs> um. Hey, I watched Friends. <laughs> <laughs> um, where would be a good place to start with, with, with your story? Where were you raised? Yeah, well, raised in Southern California, right outside of, well, East L.A., um, so oldest of four daughters, um, do I need me closer? No, you're good. Okay. Um, oldest of four daughters, parents are still together today, married, you know, over, I had to think 35 years now is the mark. Um, and so, uh, you know, already being the oldest, there was a lot of responsibility. Um, I think I took on that natural role of the perfectionist and the, um, responsible figure there's always something special about being the first child to disappoint your parents (laughs) you get get the first award (laughs) a parent never forgets their first major disappointment yeah you know i was just talking to a friend who who um is on his second child he's like we were so much harder on our first he's only four i was like oh gosh um so yeah so i think i already had that you know i'm already kind of an alpha personality on top of being the oldest so I had a lot of things going on for me Um, but you know being the oldest of four girls you know four kids period I think my parents had very limited you know my dad was working two jobs and my mom was a stay-at-home mom but she was really stressed out probably not uh, created to be a stay-at-home mom I think it drove her a little crazy I'm sure some people really like thrive in that but Anyhow. And I wonder how many moms feel like they have to fake it. Yeah. That just want to scream, I can't keep up. Yeah, I wonder. <laughs> yeah. And my mom often did yeah. say that and then slam her bedroom door. Um, and so, you know, I think that there was, you know, I remember being, um, I don't know, maybe even 10 years old and having people say, you know, oh, don't you just love being the oldest and having, you know, three siblings? I was like, no, I <laughs> No, no one asked me if I wanted siblings. <laughs> and I remember thinking like I didn't get the attention that I needed. Um, and so we can go real dark here and talk about some childhood trauma um, of um, one Thanksgiving. We were up north at my grandparents' house. My uncle is about 18 years younger than my mom. Um, and and he molested me. And um, I told my dad and nothing happened like we weren't i wasn't removed from the situation that day we stayed the entire week up there um and no one ever talked about it so and it was just silence um i I just i I just (laughs) it gets better (laughs) meaning worse than then better (laughs) and, and how how old were you and how old was he i was eight years old and he was 16 or 17 so old enough to know, oh, I mean, what uh, yeah, he's doing. Absolutely. And I have no idea what his background was. I mean, if he was And, and do you remember hurt. what it was that you said to your dad? Yeah. I, I mean, I told my dad what happened, like, physiologically. He did this. He touched me here. He, you know, and and my dad just said, okay. 
thanks for telling me. He hugged me and he left the bathroom. And that's really all I remember. And I was sitting in the bathroom sobbing on, you know, the toilet seat, not knowing what was happening. I was eight, you know, I wasn't even, hadn't even hit puberty yet. So I had no idea what was happening. And did Um, you blame yourself? Oh, I'm sure I did. I'm sure I did. I mean, it's hard for me to go back and kind of think about eight-year-old mind, but you know, I, I eventually in my adult life around 21 started going to therapy and that, I, that definitely came up was, you know, did I do something to deserve this? Even though in my mind, logically, I knew that that wasn't true as an adult, there was the emotional and spiritual resonance of that, of feeling dirty, feeling, you know, gross, associating grossness with sexual interactions you know and the um, other thing i th- i think too is then i think we begin to view our body as this weapon that had been used against us mm-hmm. so then when we hit puberty and mm-hmm. we start dating it's like i'm going to use this t- to have power now i'm yeah. going to use it to objectify mm-hmm. other people and to you know f- mm-hmm. fuck and mm-hmm. leave and mm-hmm. and make sure i don't get hurt yeah you know? oh yeah and I mean, <clears throat> I think I was maybe 13 when I had my first, like, vo- like chose to have a sexual experience with another person. And then I always was having these experiences with older guys, so like 18 and 19 years old when I'm 13, 14, and 15. So sneaking out of the house and that sort of thing. But to go back to the childhood stuff, so that whole, ha- that whole thing happens. Parents never talk about it. I start having sexual nightmares. I'm drawing sexual pictures. I'm... You know, my my poor little eight-year-old mind is trying to make sense of this. And um, I started to have really severe anxiety attacks, which now I can, of course, attribute back to that, and really severe um, parental attachment. So when my parents would leave, I would just be in hysteria, like hysteria, um, hyperventilating, throwing myself on the floor. Like, it didn't matter who was there if my parents were leaving. Like, it was... It was hell. Leaving, like, to go get to something go on a date to eat. Night, yeah. To, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. They had a meeting, whatever. I mean, just um, really severe. And that was my, that was coping. You know, that was the trauma coming out. That was not addressed. So two years later, I'm 10 years old. My mom and dad approach me and say, hey, we want to talk to you. They take me into the room. Very serious conversation. And they say, you know, your uncle wants to move in with us because he wants to go to college down here or his master's degree or something. But we know that you've had a rocky past with him. Like that a was air rocky quotes. Past. Air quotes. A, a rocky past. <laughs> By the way, my parents are... <laughs> They're well-meaning people. They blah, are. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I'm so tired of it. They did I the know. best job they could. When you do this podcast... <laughs> And you've heard 250 stories, and yeah. 230 of them are somebody getting molested and the yeah, parents not advocating nothing. for that child. There's yeah. just certain days when I'm like, okay, I've heard enough. But I, I understand your parents are not monsters. They're not right. malicious people. Right. Yeah. But they failed you. They absolutely did. Okay. And we've been able to talk about that, which we can get to. Yeah. But um, So at 10 years old, it's only two years later, I still have not even looked at what was there. I, I'm not even capable of doing that. I may be hitting puberty at this point. And I don't know what to do. And I'm dependent on my parents. So if they're even approaching me about this, then they must think it's okay. And they, you know, saddled me with me with the decision. It's up to you. You say yes, he moves in. You say no, he doesn't. 
And, um, you know, let's, let's just let that sink in for a moment. How fucked up that is on so many different levels. Zachary, what what are you thinking yeah. and feeling as you're sitting here listening to, to Sarah? It's, it's I've heard the story a number of times. It's uh, it's always tough to hear. Um, it's you said fucked up a second ago, and it's extremely fucked up. It's to saddle a child with that decision. What's the kid's going to do? I mean, seriously, I mean, it's, it's, you're going to make the decision. You're going to say, okay, he can move in. Cause I mean, really, is it 11 year old? Are you, ten. or 10? Yeah. Are you really going to stand up? And you haven't been taught that it's okay no. to stand up for yourself in the first place. It's fucked up. They did a shitty job. They did a really shitty job. And it, it angers me every time I hear about it. Yeah. Yeah. So he moved in. Yeah. Right. So he moved in, and um, what do you, what do you remember <clears throat> thinking or, or or feeling in that in that moment? Can you recall like what you felt in your body? I mean, did you feel nauseous when? Oh, I'm sure I did. I know I know I had a physiological response because even now I can look back and think I knew saying yes was betraying myself. Even though, because I did not want him to move in, I didn't want to see him at all ever. I still don't. <laughs> um, so I do. I, there was something in me, even at ten years old, where I, I, w- I knew this was not okay, and something was really messed up about this situation. Um, but I didn't have the language or the tools to be able to articulate what that was. So yeah, I, um, I had, I had pretty severe panic, and he moved. Nothing happened while he was there. He didn't touch me. He didn't. He was inappropriate always, always inappropriate. Like in, in, in what ways? Oh, I mean tickle fights or you know complimenting me and my sisters and what we were wearing like just stuff that maybe a cool uncle could get away with but not a molester uncle um and do they get a separate driver's license molester uncles i they should they should and it should be all red that's a, a red border on when they actually when they pull it out of their wa- wallet a red flag pops up <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. That should be there. Um, but he he moved into the room where me and my sister, um, Ruthie, the one who's right after me, shared a wall. So, I mean, he was just on the other side of that. Um, my parents still left him at home with us by by himself. He babysat us. He, you know. Were you waiting <clears throat> for something to happen with him? Or was it just something that you blocked out of your mind? Because, you know, as you're describing this mm-hmm. to me, like... I'm picturing myself being you sleeping in that bed, and it's like even with that wall, mm-hmm. it feels so unsafe. Mm-hmm. It, well, and that's what I learned to grow up with, though. I mean, just that this is obviously a huge incident in my childhood, but this was my family, you know, modus operandi. This was we don't talk about hard things, we brush everything under the rug, we don't talk about our feelings. Like, it just was all cookie cutter on the outside and no substance whatsoever. So, I mean, you've heard me share this. Family structure and parents were physically present, but emotionally completely vacant. Like there was no emotional support. Emotional poverty. That's the Absolutely. that's the word that I like mm-hmm. to use mm-hmm. to describe it because mm-hmm. we in our culture we get so focused on um financial poverty yep. or food poverty and certainly they're both important but mm-hmm. when when are we going to send the alarm bells off <laughs> about emotional poverty because mm-hmm. i think you can fix financial mm-hmm. and food poverty in a short amount of time but the repercussions <clears throat> of this last generations of people don't get 
don't yeah. get help. Yeah. Yeah. So go ahead. I'm sorry. I, no, that, let me take well, my soapbox I lo- down. No, I love the soapbox. I mean, the fatherhood campaign that's going on with fatherhood.gov or whatever. They're, mm. they're all over Sherman Oaks. They have these um, I haven't billboards. Heard of it. Yeah. They have billboards everywhere of, of kids saying stuff about their dads. And I, I love the call to action. Like, hey, dads, yeah. show mm-hmm. up, suit yeah. up, be there. Anyway, um, emotionally, not just physically. Yeah. Asterisk. Um, yeah, so um, I did block out a lot of that. I think it was kind of, uh, okay, I'm going to shut the door on that and pretend like that never happened because that's what I've been modeled. And uh, I think he only lived with us for maybe six months to a year. I, it wasn't that long. Um, and I remember being relieved when he was gone. Um, and then, I mean, I already had the energy of being a victim of sexual molestation. And a year after that, my parents went out of town and they couldn't saddle someone with all four of us girls to, you know, have someone watch us for the whole weekend by themselves. So they divvied us up a bunch, you know, amongst a bunch of different homes and families of kids about our age from school. And I stayed with this one girl who happened to be a bully at school, her and her family. I stayed with them and she molested me over that weekend, which by then I already knew. Well, why even tell mom and dad? Because nothing's going to happen anyway. How was she chosen? My parents knew her parents. Oh, I see. So, and I don't think my parents did. They ask you if you liked her before they. Mm -mm. They made the arrangements. Like this is what's happening. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. How? uh, uh, Two questions I want to ask you about about both experiences. If you're if you're comfortable uh, uh, about sharing them. because one of the things I'm fascinated with is how uh, people that do this get away with it. How do they mm. present it? So, how do they present the situation? How do they justify it out loud, mm-hmm. if if at all? Uh, in terms of the girl, uh, or in terms and, of and, just and and the uncle. You know, do they oh. say, oh, well, let's play a game? Or... Yeah. Well, with the uncle, it was definitely grooming. I mean, it was you're my favorite niece. Um, you know, you're really special. You're the most beautiful out of all your sisters. Um, you know, yeah, you're my favorite. Like, I want to spend time with just you. Like, here, let me hold your hand. You know, and it, it just kind of progressed from there. So I'm trying to think of how long the grooming period lasted. I think we we're up there for a week. But I, I mean, my, I looked up to my uncle. Like, he's yeah. my uncle. Um, you know, I wanted him to like and love me. Uh, I was you know? so excited when, when like my older yeah, cousins would come around. Right? It was like uh, it was better than Christmas. It was like I yes. look up to them. I was yes. like, let me hold your muscle and you, look how far you can throw the football. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yep, it was all those things. Yeah. yeah, it was all those things. And I think even just the vacancy, emotional vacancy of my father. I'm sure at that age, I was already looking for affirmation from some sort of male energy figure. Um so I'm sure there was a lot going on there. But with the uncle, it was definitely grooming. With the female bully, it was much more forceful. It was, you know, basically like, you're my bitch, you're going to do what I tell you to, kind of thing. And what do you remember thinking or, or, or feeling? And she was your age? Yeah. Yeah, she was my age. Um, but, I mean, a bully at school to other people, too, yeah. you know. Um, you know, it's hard. I don't remember. I remember being submissive. And I think that's that's something really kind of painful to think about because um, that's, you know, I've done so much work to get mm-hmm. out of that. But that's where I was at 11 years old being, <laughs> you know, very traumatized at an early age, you know. Um, I think so many of us in that moment, we just we freeze. 
We just, and then we beat ourselves up. Why didn't Mm -hmm. I do this? Why didn't I do that? And Mm -hmm. we forget we weren't a little version of our adult selves. We were a fucking child. Right, after 10 years of therapy and support groups. (laughs) But it's so hard. We can understand that intellectually, Mm -hmm. but absorbing that emotion and truly truly having empathy for our our young little Mm -hmm. selves is... That to me is like the end zone when we yeah. can get to that place. That's that's where I think we feel like we've finally made some headway. Yeah. We can really grieve grieve mm-hmm. that that was we were not to blame in any mm-hmm. anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so go ahead. I mean, so that I mean that was an isolated incident, and uh, I never I think I saw her at school, but nothing. I mean, ever happened between her and I ever again. But I think that left me feeling very confused. Like, okay, am I a lesbian because I was intimate with a girl? Um, you know, just n- very sexually confused, um, especially when puberty hit. You know, um, and I think most kids uh, are are slightly terrified that they might be gay anyway. Probably. You know, probably yeah. less so nowadays. And my, but, and my parents were Southern Baptist Christians. They are Southern Baptist Christians, yeah. which is the irony okay. with all of this. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, high school, I didn't. Re- I wasn't really acting out much. Um, you know, I was kind of the dorky kid at school until my senior year. I switched to a new high school, um, which is always a good time to switch <laughs> right before you graduate. <laughs> and I was suddenly like the hot new girl. Mm-hmm. And um, I probably didn't treat people very well. I probably took on like a persona of like the dominant person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't like bully anyone severely or anything. But I just remember that was like a real change in like, oh, I can have power over people, which then I think translated into my sexuality. Um, so even though I had sexual experiences in high school, I think that's when the lid really was blown off. Um and that's when I started kind of getting this high from having this sexual dominance, you know, um, which was really me just not being connected to myself. It was, um, you know, learning how to be sexual without having the emotions behind it, not caring about the person. What um, was the what was the most potent part of the experience for you when when you would um, get together with somebody? Was it the the pursuing stage of it was it them seeing how far they would go to try to to get you in bed was it while you were in bed was it breaking up with them afterwards i mean what oh, i mean the drama was always a huge draw I think. I think everybody gets their hit <laughs> from some aspect of it yeah and and i'm just <clears throat> curious what what was where was the where were the payoffs for you because for most people it's not the actual sexual act right. it's usually something mm-hmm. around it i think for me it was oh i'm the girl who doesn't care but you're going to care after the fact and you're going to call me and i'm going to be done and then you're really going to want me and then i'm going to be and i'm going to be on this pedestal you know and, i think that was what i was going for <laughs> and do you think that was something that was conscious in your mind or you would just find yourself feeling that way and so you're just following through on your feelings oh that's a great I mean, I'm trying to think back. It might have been 50-50, and maybe it started subconscious and then really moved into methodical, uh, you know, a methodical part of my brain. But, I mean, that that all led me to my bottom eventually, you know. Um, Because in, uh, okay, so uh, did college, um, 
and I'm a, a total achievement oriented person because I had to run for myself. So mm-hmm. I hid behind academics. And so. And, and is, is there a depression and anxiety uh, mixed in? With, yes, with this? I couldn't I couldn't identify it yet. Okay. So I started seeing a therapist when I was 21, no medication or anything. It was just like, okay, there's some stuff I haven't shared with anybody. I think it's important to share and uh, it's really painful. So blah, here you go. And I worked with her for four years. Um, How'd that feel the, when you laid it out there? Oh, I mean, shitty and wonderful at the same time. It was a relief to be able to like let it go, Isn't but then cr- also to have tools to like yeah. heal that. Like, it's okay to be angry. What? I've never been allowed to be angry. I've not. Ne- my parents never gave me permission. I never gave myself permission. Um, and then I gave you know gave myself permission to grieve and took like six to nine months of just like wearing black and and crying and journaling and i mean getting getting that that ceremonial you know process out of grief which have, never fully heals it but have you ever talked to you the picture of yourself as a kid from, oh yeah from back then talk, yeah. talk about that well i mean did it work for you did it, it did t- yeah it did i mean i've i've written letters to you know my eight-year-old self um I've talked to pictures of my eight-year-old self. I did too, but mine came back returned to sender, which I thought was really cool. That <laughs> is the lamest. God bless you for laughing. I'm going to tip both of you. When, oh, good. When we're <laughs> Just go ahead. You um, wrote the letters. Yeah, I mean, I wrote, I wrote letters. I talked to myself and, and just really was able to affirm that little girl, like, this was not your fault. You were not a bad person. Um, you didn't do anything to deserve this. You know, you're not dirty. You're not ruined goods. You're not, um, anything less than, um, and, uh, and, and the grieving really helped me get to that place where I could be like the adult self looking at the little child and saying like, okay, now I'm going to take you and nothing, I'm not going to let anything bad happen to you. Um, you know, this is, it's different now. Um, you can't change the past, but we're going to change where we're going. Have there been um, moments in 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 your life, concrete moments that you can share where you f- have kind of stepped in, felt that scared little kid in you, and had the parent in you take over and protected? Oh yeah. Can you share? Think of any? I mean, it's it's sometimes it's even like a daily, you know. Let's see how do I, how do I explain this. Almost any time my phone rings, I'm expecting someone to call me telling me I'm in trouble. Like, oh no, what did I do wrong? What did I forget? You know, what did I mess mm-hmm. up? And, you know, it could be anyone, you know? And I, it's been a slow process of me having to train myself of like, wait a second. I'm in, like, what, a, what is that about? And obviously I can kind of put two and two together for where that comes from. But I mean, I think my inner child is always there right underneath you know the surface and she um is really loving and wonderful and curious but then she also sometimes needs to be put in her place like okay this isn't where your fear belongs you know i love you we're gonna put you in the back seat and buckle you in where you where you need to be right now while big sarah drives (laughs) you know and um and i'm gonna take care of us was there more of a thought to to finish no i was just talking (laughs) What are some instances when she gets her way and and you're not being 
healthy or, or, or good to yourself where you're where you're not parenting her? Um that's a good question. Um I mean, I think to be very, I mean, to be very specific, I mean, I have the ism, you know, I, I don't go to support groups for a lot of, you know, I go to a few and I have been to a few different varieties, but, um, but substances, um, you know, I haven't been in any substance support groups, but I'll tell you what, on a hard day, there is nothing else I want than, you know, a half bottle of wine and the little girl sometimes wants to have a whole bottle of wine or, and then say something really mean to her husband or, you know, or, or get crabby or, you know, and, and it's, um, you know, I, I know in those moments when I'm, when I'm listening to the inner child be bratty and, and say, no, but I, but I want this and be selfish. It's anytime selfishness comes up, I guess, is mm -hmm. when that is when she's poking her head out. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Zachary, as you're listening to her talk uh, about that, um, what's what's that like for you when you feel like um, she's I don't know mistreating is, is is too strong of a word, but she's you know maybe being bitchy or short with you which or is, a little just cracking the whip and uh, yeah yeah because I I know Zachary's story and. He, you know, you had a really abandoning childhood with a really shaming father and uh, and a mom who died when you were, what, three? Three and a half. Three yeah. and a half. Um, I can't imagine how triggering that's got to be for you when sh you feel what might be rejection coming from her. What What's that like? Scary. Um, in my childhood growing up, a fight meant that a relationship was over. You know, my fa my father was um, uh, addicted to women. Um, that was his thing. And drugs too. And right? drugs, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was a revolving door of women. And whenever there was a big blow up fight, one would leave, and then another one would come in. So, and, and sometimes you had bonded to to that woman and yeah. felt safe with her. Yeah, sometimes. Um, uh, so when when something happens with us. Yeah, that's sometimes one of the first things that crops up for me is, oh my gosh, okay, this is the end. I start mentally packing and, and getting ready to move on. Um, it's, it's a defense mechanism. I just go into shutdown mode. Okay, here we go again. It's, it was bound to happen at some point. Um, uh, but piggybacking on what Sarah said, it's, that's the work for me is to parent that little kid and be like, no, 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 everything's okay. A fight doesn't mean things are over. It's, it's reparenting that little child uh, that wants to think that everything is still the same as a kid. You know? um, and it's good. And we grow closer to one another every single time we work through something. And we really don't have a lot of blow-up, uh, knock-down, drag-out fights. It's, uh, and, and when we one of us has a messy side of our street we clean it up and we talk to each other and we take ownership and responsibility and it's mm -hmm. and we're we're growing and healing through that well and we don't have a lot of fights that come up but we do have a lot of um like fear moments yes that that's true you know one of us might be triggered by something the other person says or does or i mean when you think about everything that the two of you been have been through in childhood how can you not be triggered every day by, by <laughs> shit that happens? Mm. I mean, textbook, tr 
trauma in, mm-hmm. in both of your both of your childhoods. Um, I, I constantly mention this article by a guy named Dr. Alan Rappaport, and you were talking about the, you know, uh, Zachary, about your thinking going to this is it, this mm-hmm. is the end. Mm-hmm. One of the hallmarks of people that were raised by narcissists is uh, black and white thinking. Also for addicts as well, but oh, yeah. um, I, I think that's one of the biggest challenges we we face is mm-hmm. trying to integrate nuanced thinking into our into our lives. Sorry oh, to interrupt. Yeah. Uh, no, back to <clears throat> back to you. Um, uh, when okay, so twenty one started as a therapist. I decided to medicate with education, so I went on and got a master's degree. Met someone in that program. Got married at twenty four. Um, extremely volatile. Like basically married my dad, but with like way worse boundaries and, and a girl. Um, yeah, yeah and a mo- I really wanted to set the mark way up there. Mm-hmm. So I won the disappointment award, and now I'm winning <laughs> the uh, the uh, bad wife award as well. Um, and and it, I mean, it blew up. It blew up. Um, it was incredibly verbally, um, at times physically, and certainly emotionally abusive. Um, on both of your parts or just him towards you? Uh, him towards me, specifically, um, trying to kick me out of the car in the middle of the night in downtown L.A. at 11 o'clock when it's raining outside because I said something he didn't like. Um, I put a picture of myself on his desktop on his phone one night when we were at dinner with my family. And as soon as he saw it, you know, clicked to see what time it was and saw the picture, he blew up and said, if I wanted a picture of you on my phone, oh, he said something about like, I want something on my phone I actually want to look at. If I wanted a picture of you on my phone, I would have put it there in front of my whole family and no one said anything. I mean, this is the kind of person, I mean, just, just, you know, but there was something about me, right. That was attracted to that and that stayed right. And that, and that was committed to that. (laughs) So what part of me was equal to that? You know, that's where I was at that point. Um, I was looking for any way to get out. I had an affair with someone at my work, Um, and it was so messy and my husband found out about it and that's not what caused the marriage to end. It was already deteriorating, but, um, but that was, that was kind of where things started going downhill. I started going on antidepressants and anxiety and sleep medication because I mean, I was flipping out. I was having panic attacks. I was depressed and could not find happy and, um, and just was was doing all the right things. I was going to a therapist. I was doing yoga. I had good friends, but nothing was fixing my bad feelings and my bad thoughts. Um, yeah, I don't think any amount of trauma or pills will fix no. or, or uh, uh, yoga or pills <laughs> yeah. will fix trauma. <laughs> right. You know? But I'm like, yeah. I'm meditating. I don't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and so I was I was living with a girlfriend because I had gotten divorced at 27 and. I was living with her and um and the pills just you know it got I had access to some pretty hardcore stuff and realized when I mixed it with alcohol that I could black out and I could go to sleep and not have to worry about things and um it eventually got to the point where my roommate came and found me unconscious on the kitchen floor bleeding out and bleeding out from having cut yourself yeah I sliced up my arms um pretty terribly and had you um cut was it something that you had done before is it suicide attempt or was it the act of cutting to release pain you know it i really don't believe i wanted to die i just could not live with the pain anymore and i had cut before 
um, but not to this degree. And I, you know, that was the act, that was me trying to, in my drugged out state, release something, you know, re- anything possible. I mean, I wanted to literally peel my skin it's, off. It sounds know? like a polite girl scream. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that, I mean, yeah. And I, I, my roommate knew that I was deteriorating for a long time and I think she was very concerned and anytime she'd bring it up, I was really combative. Um, you know, like I'm going to therapy and yoga, you know, leave me alone. Um, and, and that, and I, the next day I woke up and I turned myself in to a psychiatric ward and said, I'm a danger to myself and others and I need, I need to get help. And you know, what's interesting is the entire time I was there, I mean, it was, it bottomed out completely. Um, in the psychiatric ward, that is the, I remember my parents and my sisters coming to see me. And me being in like my hospital robe and, you know, socks, no makeup, hadn't washed my hair in like two or three days, you know, my arms are bandaged up. And that was the first time I had ever felt like I was my true self. Like I felt like free. Like I was like, okay, like I, Sarah is, I was so grateful to be alive. And I mean, the doctors told me they were like, you've been doing this for how long and how much have you been taking and how much have you been drinking with this? They said, we just want you to know most people don't wake up. Like you should have died probably like eight months ago, you know? And they were like, your, your life is really a miracle, you know? And so I, I think I got kind of jolted into perspective a bit. I mean, obviously the journey wasn't done at that point. I mean, that was pre support groups and a lot of other things, but, um, but I remember something was released and looking actually, when we moved, I was looking at all of the intake paperwork and like the notes from the doctors there. And basically what they said is this, this woman doesn't have a substance abuse problem. Like she does use this to numb. She is a very high functioning person with a lot of pain, basically. Like there's nothing psychologically wrong with her. (laughs) And I just remember feeling so, um, like validated like oh yeah like it's all of these stories that i've shared like it's all of that that was not healed that i didn't know how to take care of i didn't know how to release and work through um and that's and that's what got me like getting into the support that i now have and now that i give to others and that was the beginning of this journey you know for something years ago um and yeah and She's then, looking at Zachary right now. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you? What do you? What did you think the first time she shared that story with you about her? And I take it that was your bottom. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, there were a few. You know, you find bottom, and then you find a few more basements of bottom, and yeah, that mm-hmm. was like the basement basement of bottom. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It um, it breaks my heart, uh, and it it brings tears to my eyes, and um. And I'm just um, beyond grateful that that you are you're here. Obviously, mm-hmm. um, and interestingly enough, you know we've talked about this a number of times before, and 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 what you know, in saying that you felt like it was your you were yourself for the first time ever, and then and, and I hear somebody that's going, finally, I can be seen. You know, this is now everybody can see really all this pain that I've been holding on to for so long. And that touches me because I, I know what that's like to, to keep that in and to hold that in and want to be seen. Um, mm-hmm. 
And I think for a certain segment of our society that, that aren't emotionally educated, it has to be a scream that that is that loud and that visceral for them to wake up and say, oh, this person that I love really is in pain. They're not just um, being dramatic. I, I hear that so often that a child will go to their parent and their parent will shame them by saying, you're being so dramatic. Stop stop being so sensitive that's what i was told at eight and nine and ten years old when i would have fits of hysteria in a response to my trauma it was settle down you know stop it you're being dramatic you're drawing attention to yourself you know like, so, <laughs> I, I don't know what to do i would imagine uh, that you must have gone through and probably still do go through um tremendous doubt when you're feeling something about whether or not you should be feeling that and whether or not your feelings are valid and whether or not you're being a you know too sensitive or you know give me give me some of the greatest hits when you're feeling overwhelmed (laughs) that your that your mind tells you the mean part of your mind oh gosh um well let's see i'm trying to think of specific examples but I mean, I guess the the biggest tape that plays is like, you're not worthy. Like, who cares that you're feeling tired? Go do this thing. Uh, And uh, achievement is really where it comes in for me. Um, How much have I gotten done on my to do list and associate, you know, it's it's been a work in progress for me to start seeing myself as just me, right? Sitting in this chair, just being a person. I'm worthy. I'm worthy of anything I feel. Um, I deserve all my feelings and all my feelings are good. It's just, what do I choose to do with them? Um, and, and so I think for me, it's, uh, it's been a work in progress to kind of, uh, take out the anxiety of when my phone rings and I'm worried that I'm in trouble (laughs) at 32 years old. Um, and, and just, just taking the energy out of, out of things like really right sizing things. Um, have, have I done my best? Have I done something wrong? Is there a legitimate reason to be concerned? Um, and I think the biggest thing that I'm learning right now is like fear is just self-created. I create that for myself. And usually it's a coping mechanism because I don't want to deal with whatever's underneath that. So as soon as I can just remind myself and whatever, whatever, whenever that thought comes up, I shouldn't feel this way. The shouldn'ts. Yeah. My therapist wants to stop shooting on yourself. Like, <laughs> it's okay. There are no shoulds, coulds, would'ves. Like, it's just now and your future. What are you going to choose? Um, so I always, I, I try to shy away from the woulda, coulda, shouldas because that's where I can get really lost um, in in old patterns of thinking. You know. So you get released from the hospital. Is it fair to say then that's the beginning of your real recovery? Oh, absolutely. What, yeah. what, what did that look like and who guided you and what did they have you start doing? Oh, you might love this story. Um, so uh, it's recommended for people leaving the hospital that they find some sort of spiritual practice to help them. <laughs> <laughs> so I dragged my ass to a church in Hollywood um, it was a Christian church because that's what I kind of had associated with from, you know, childhood. Um, wasn't a family church or anything. Didn't really know anyone there. Um, I sat down and I sobbed through the entire service. And a woman came up to me after service and said, I noticed you were crying. Can I just hold some space for you? Can I just sit here with you? I said, yes. And she had really long hair and green eyes. And she said, my name is Kelly. And I was like, all right, 
nice to meet you, Kelly. And then she said, do you want to get coffee tomorrow? And I said, sure. Um, and so we got coffee the next day and, uh, I told her my story and she was like, I'm part of a community that I I want to invite you to be, you know, come with me to come visit. And I think that you can get a lot of support from there. And, um, and so I did, and that's what the work that I've been doing for the last four years. And so what was the support group that she invited you to? Yeah. Yeah, Okay. And and was she a survivor of some type, uh, as well? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and actually, I mean, we fast forward now, and she's married to um, one of our good friends, Rudy, and we're now oh, married. Oh, that Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> that Kelly. I yes. love Kelly. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, and actually, neither Kelly or I ever went back to that church again. Um, but that was the moment, you know, that we were meant to meet. And and now we've gotten to see each other through the last four years of this journey and relationships. And they've had children. And, I mean, it just just seeing the healing that's happened it was that's it's a great mirror to have someone meet me at one of my lowest and then be able to see me 4 years later in the place that I am um and I take full responsibility for the wonderful life that I now lead because um because I deserve it and I've done the work to get here um which is really beautiful so what did the, some of that work look like on on your way here things Things that oh, you gosh. had to, maybe epiphanies you had to have, um, specific work that you that you needed to to do. Well, I first, I mean, I, I had to realize, and I think this happened, you know, in my early college years and earlier twenties. But I, I had to identify that I was like a severe codependent. Like codependency was killing me slowly. In what ways? Um, I mean, I, I didn't live my life for myself. I lived for everyone else. What do you think I should do? Who do you think I, I am? What, how should I act? I remember thinking, okay, I need to, I had like a little Rolodex file in my head and like a filing cabinet of how to interact with each person in my life. Okay. I'm this way with this person. I'm this way with that person. I'm this way with that person. Just constantly the pleaser. Um, were you, were you, do you think you were looking for love or do you think it was fear based hoping not to disappoint or, or both? Oh, I think it was both. Uh, in male relationships, I think it was definitely the looking for love part. Um, but I think I I was so um, misled when I was a child and literally was dependent on people who couldn't take care of me, which made that that pain even worse and made my dependency on my parents even worse. Um, I, th- I mean, I think that's where it all started. But I mean, it's. I constantly wanted best friends. Like, you're my best friend. You're my best friend. You're my best friend. Like, trying to secure... Did you trauma bond with people? Oh, all, yes. Trauma bonding can be so exciting, though, yes. can it? I mean, it was all about drama and gossip. <laughs> yeah, all of that stuff. Oversharing. I was the queen of oversharing oh when I was dating. <laughs> yeah, it was... <laughs> I probably overshared way too much in, like, my dating bio on OkCupid or whatever. Mm-hmm. But... Um, yeah, so trauma bonding, oversharing, that was definitely all a part of it, too. Yeah. I like uh, telling people in front of me in line at Sizzler that I'm an incest survivor. I just... <laughs> the line cleans out the, real quick. Yeah, you, you get can, all you can eat shrimp. The, the, the <laughs> potato bar you can see for miles. Um, but, you know, going back to the work, you know, a lot of it had to do with um, with me coming to terms that 
Um, I am where I am today. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get to a place that is healthy and sane. I loved uh, the promise that I heard of people being renewed to dignity and to sanity and to um, the power of choice, to living an adult life where you can make adult decisions and take care of yourself and have boundaries. And I was learning these concepts that I was so attracted to and I couldn't even really identify why, but I knew it was because it was lacking. Now I see that, you know? Um, and so it was really taking ownership for the wrongs I've done. It was, um, are there any that you're comfortable sharing, uh, wrongs that, that you've done? Yeah. I mean, I, um, I mean, I, I bullied one of my sisters quite a bit. Um, and so, you know, putting her down and trying to make myself look better than I was and stealing her friends. And, you know, some of those things seem so juvenile, but I, we were children at that time. Um, but they still caused wounds. And that actually still affects our relationship today. Um, with my ex-husband, you know, I, I made a list of the things that, that I contributed, you know, making him, you know, the most important thing in my life and, you know... Um, blaming him when things were wrong, you know, when I thought things were wrong, even though I contributed to that and I had expectations that he could ever meet and I was insatiable and all the things that I contributed to that, even just with friends, girlfriends, you know, in college, it was like, oh, wow, like I encouraged you to cheat on your boyfriend. I am really sorry I I did that. Um, that is not who I am today. <laughs> um, so along those lines of just going back and kind of and cleaning up, you know, some of the messes that I left, even, you know, around the time that I admitted myself, you know, there were a lot of people around me who were very concerned and had total reason to be concerned that I basically said, fuck off, you know, this is none of your business. And they were really looking out for me. And so going back to them and saying like, wow, I really caused a lot of concern. I'm really sorry. Um, and what can I do to make it right now, if if anything? And some people have said there's nothing. Um, and then I get to live with that and be at peace and know that I did the best that I could when I had a sane mind. <laughs> um, so those are a few examples. Thank you for, for, for sharing that. Yeah. Um, sometimes I forget to ask people when when I'm talking to them on the on the show about the damage that that we've caused, because so mm -hmm. often it's about this was done to me, this was mm -hmm. done to me. And um the other thing I forget to ask them is to share some beautiful moments uh, that they had, you know, even though they were in a dysfun dysfunctional family, mm -hmm. share some, some beautiful moments that, that you can think of that you had with your, with your parents. Oh, that's a good one. Um, you know, my, my dad is very big on traditions. And so we would go to Disneyland once a year together and he would wake us up. We would think it'd be a school morning and he would come in at, you know, 6 a.m. Like, wake up, we're going to Disneyland. And he'd make pancakes and we were like, ah! and we always knew it was going to happen at some point every year. Um, and then we all became teenagers and got passes on our own. <laughs> and now we go all the time, even as adults. But what a um, great thing we for did, a dad to do. Yeah. What a, or any parent, but. And dad would cook every Sunday night. He would do breakfast for dinner. So I, I did have the opportunity to see both parents in the kitchen and didn't see that as a gendered role, which I appreciate. Um, and, and we did a lot of things. We went to the pumpkin, you know, patch every year. We went apple picking every October for my mom's birthday. We, um, have certain traditions around Christmas morning together. Um, you know, it's kind of changing now that we're all adults, but, but some of those things we still do. 
um, the L.A. County Fair, you know, now Zach is a part of a lot of these traditions, too, which he really loves because now he's getting to have these family traditions. Oh, I do. The fried food is outstanding. <laughs> <laughs> what, is yeah. it, what does it feel like for, for you, Zach, who came from such complete chaos and no structure? Mm-hmm. Um, what does it feel like to be a part of her family when they're doing these traditional things? Because maybe I'm putting words in your mouth, but I can't picture you and your father having a yearly tradition of Oh, no, there were none. Okay. No, there was, uh, the tradition was no tradition. Um, it's, it's lovely to be a part of, of her family's traditions. It's, and it's, and it's, I also make it a little awkward for myself. Um, a boy. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) I try my my best. Uh, Wave that flag. Yeah. No, it's, there's a part of me that still doesn't know how to fully let go uh, around people. Um, and so I love the tradition, um, but there's, I, I don't know, my, you know, my thinking's my own worst enemy and it'll try and tell me that oh, you don't really belong here or see, this is their thing. And, um, but if I can push that out of the way, uh, I love it. I, I love the traditions and she's, you know, as a result of her upbringing, she's brought so many traditions into my life, which, uh, I'm, I love. When she said, uh, if she'll say to you this Sunday, we're going to go do such and such with my family, is there an instant, instantaneous part of you that feels dread and fear? No, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, usually how it happens is my mom will email and say, here's something we want to do in the next month. What dates are good for you? And then I take a moment and pray to myself and then i contact him and say hey does this sound fun for you if so let's talk about what and so we're on the same page it's never like we're doing this with my family so you know get your cowboy boots we're going apple picking you know it's 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 not you know we are a very fused family unit and we've been very intentional about that because of his lack of family and because my emotional lack of family super codependent, a mesh family. Um, you know, we were trying to really make it clear for ourselves. Like you are my person, you're my partner. We are now a family. So what do we want to do now together? Yep. You know, boundaries, get to choose what we want to do, what we don't want to do. <laughs> have you guys ever done uh, counseling together? Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. We have a therapist. What, we go uh, to? How's that go? Uh, that's great. Uh, what what has it helped you with? What are some issues you've worked through in there? Oh, well, this will be what everyone wants to hear about. Um, well, b- obviously, because of my <laughs> trauma, um, you know, getting into a uh, a truly emotionally intimate relationship, um, the physical intimacy has been very challenging for me. Um, and it wasn't at the beginning when we first started dating. But then it got progressively, like, as I realized things were getting more intense and we were getting more serious. And he was seeing you. Yeah. He was seeing the real you and not just the weapon that had been used against you. Exactly. And as I was learning how to let my guard down and be vulnerable and um, sex became kind of scary. Um, My body was not doing what it needed to do to create that opportunity for us. And, um, And he's been so patient and so loving through that process. But about a year ago. A little over a year ago, we started seeing a therapist who um, specializes in working with couples, um, specifically couples who are recovering or couples who um, have had childhood traumas of a sexual nature. 
and um and she's been great she i mean very gentle we both go together and um and it's been really helpful i mean sex is all i mean sex is emotional so if we're working on the emotional stuff then that starts falling into place so you know it's not perfect but uh there's no one else i'd rather be doing it with (laughs) thank you for sharing that and i think that's such an important thing I, i don't know if i've met a survivor yet that didn't struggle with uh, with intimacy. You know, it's like, and it's not something that's talked about. No, it's not. Yeah. And and excitement seems so much more appealing to mm-hmm. us than than intimacy. And mm-hmm. when, we, when the the counselor that my wife and I go to says that the dynamic you see happening over and over again with a survivor and their partner is they begin to get closer together and then one of them pushes the other person away. Mm. And then you begin to get closer and the other person pushes them away and it happens over and over and over again. And I and I see it happening. I feel it in, in myself sometimes where I just, um, you know, there will be some weekends where it's like I know we're going to have the weekend together and I'll just really just want to stay in bed the the whole weekend. So because sabotage. Yeah, sabotage yeah. because I just... Um, the thought of being responsible mm. to somebody else is overwhelming mm-hmm. to me. It's just, um, and and I know that it's um, something that can be worked on because my therapist tells me that. <laughs> but it's terrifying. Intimacy mm-hmm. is terrifying, mm-hmm. and and so many difficult conversations have to happen in intimacy. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some difficult conversations that you guys have had to to have? Um, you know, I know that that sometimes when when we're in therapy, all of a sudden I will realize I'm feeling something that I'd been burying in our relationship for years, <laughs> and suddenly I'm able to voice it, and it comes out with an anger as if this other person had been denying uh-huh. this thing. You, you know, like I've been having an argument in, in my head for four years, and finally I'm letting it happen out loud. And it's very cathartic, but it's also kind of embarrassing. Have you, do you guys ever have those where suddenly something bubbles to the surface that hadn't been conscious yet, and then all of a sudden it's now it's conscious and now it's out in the open and you can you can talk about it? Does anything come to mind for you immediately? Mm-mm. No. I mean, my biggest... I, I mean... I know our relationships are different Mm -hmm. um, and you've been with your wife for a long time. Um, uh, I know for me, the biggest hurdle is I think, I think I, I know what he should be saying to her. Like, no, you need to be telling her about this stuff. Like you need to be saying this. No, you didn't. What about this other part? You know? Um, So it's, (laughs) I do that too, by the way. (laughs) Yeah. So you want to control each other. Yeah, exactly. Because you want your case made as cleanly as possible. Yes. Yes. You know, we're both selfish, you know, parts of us are selfish. Mm. Um, You know, or if, or if it's, you know, since both of us are there, if I feel like, well, he had 45 minutes of the session and I only got 15 minutes of the session, like I feel gypped and maybe I feel a little cold after, you know, it's just, you know, it's just the desire to be seen and heard. That's it. Isn't it funny how it all boils down to that? (laughs) We just want to be accepted for who we are. We just want to be just want to be seen yeah. and know that we're okay. But you know, one thing that I really admire about our relationship is that and this is not something I had in my first marriage. Um and it's it it's that uh we are now two very distinct people having interacting in a relationship. Um we're not enmeshed 
at least not much, I don't think. <laughs> Maybe at times, but when the emotion is there, it's painful. You know, that that's that's when that's when it's uh it's messy. Um but for both of us to you know, for a while I had my own therapist, he had his own therapist, and now I have mentors and counselors, he has mentors and counselors, and we see a therapist together. But you know, if he's triggered by something or he's having a bad day, he has people that he calls. He has, he has, I don't know, homework that he does, writing, journaling, meditating, I don't know. But he takes care of it. And I know the same thing for me. If I have something come up, then I don't rely on him. I go and take care of myself. And so to have these, these, um, have this open relationship in that way where I'm not sitting there counting the minutes until he's worked through something uh, the way I think he should, you know? Just that there's so I feel like for me, there's so much more trust in the relationship because I trust that he's going to take care of himself and he's going to come back a better partner. And I know that that's what I'm going to do mm. as well. So it's not like a closed system yeah. where they're. I, I, yeah, it, we don't would tell it be each other to, everything. Fair to say that that's what enmeshment is, is, yeah. is like <laughs> yeah. this closed system where yes. you're going to fulfill all my needs and I'm going to fulfill all your needs. Mm-hmm. And how could that go badly? <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, Nothing could go wrong. Zachary uh, and I have had some fantastic conversations on the on the phone when we're Good. both struggling with, with, with issues. And uh, I've told him many times, there are a few people I feel as safe with. Um, mm. I mean, I've shared my deepest, darkest uh, secrets with with him, and he's he's such a gentle soul. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Well, I, feeling is mutual. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's I love you to pieces. Thanks, so, buddy. Yeah, love talking to them, and be sure to listen to Zachary's episode next week. And Sarah sits in on it. And uh, he's so vulnerable and honest, and uh, his story is so worth worth listening to. Um, what did I want to mention? Um, oh, hey, let's give some love to our sponsor. I love Squarespace. They are such a consistent supporter, not only of this podcast, but podcasting in general. They've been there since podcasting uh, really started to take off because they know what an important medium it is and um, how intimate of a medium uh, it is. And I love their product. Um, Squarespace is perfect whether you need a landing page, maybe you need a, a gorgeous gallery, a professional blog. Maybe you're a maybe you're an entrepreneur and uh, you want an online store. Well, it's all included with your Squarespace website. Uh, the templates are awesome. I built my own Squarespace uh, site. It took me about two hours. I put up all my favorite dog pictures and music that I've uh, put together and played. And if you want to check it out it, it, and judge me, go ahead. Just don't judge Squarespace because uh, they have a good product. But feel free to judge this shit out of me. My um, my website is paul-gilmartin.squarespace.com. And... Um, it was so easy to, to put that website together. Um, all you have to know, is, know how to do is drag and drop things. You scroll through a bunch of beautiful templates. You pick one you like, and then you just start adding stuff to it. It's super intuitive, um, and and I love it. So I've been using it uh, ever since then. And whenever I need to update something, it's, it's, it's super easy. Squarespace has great 24-7 customer support. And uh, what more do you need to know? Uh, start your free trial today at squarespace.com and enter offer code MENTAL to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace, set your website apart. 
what did I think I wanted to say? Oh, I know what I wanted to say. You know, God forbid I write any of this shit down. And I just every week I say, what was it that I wanted to say? Yeah, Paul had a boy. Beat yourself up. Now we're talking. Oh, yeah. I didn't really like that uh, that mean DJ voice. That didn't feel. That felt very. Uh, I'm sweating. I'm sweating right now. But I'm not rubbing my nipples. Those of you who've been listening for uh, for a while know that there was a very, very touch-and-go phase where I found myself rubbing my nipples while I was uh, recording the podcast. Not with the guest, but the intro and outro. And that was uh, it was a little concerning. I, uh, if there is a, a something on the edge of a 5150, I think rubbing your nipples while you're podcasting has got to be on that, right on that edge. Uh, what I wanted to share is July 20th and 21st, I'm coming to Oakland again to do two um, live recordings of podcasts back-to-back. I'm going to be um, interviewing Jamie DeWolf, who is the um, grandson or great-grandson of L. Ron Hubbard, and he has some great stories to share. And I'm also going to be, uh, the following night, or maybe I got them reversed, I'm going to be interviewing uh, Glenn Washington, who hosts uh, the very popular podcast, Snap Judgment. So looking forward to um, to having both of those guys. And I believe we've got a link for ticket purchasing. Um, so I'll make sure to put that on our, on our website. But it would be great if you come out. Last time uh, I was in Oakland, we had so much fun. I interviewed Guy Branham. Um, but the audio got fucked up, so I had to re-record Guy in studio but those those of you that were at the event know um, how fun it was. So I I really hope you come back and uh, watch a new audio guy fuck it up. Oh, Paul, why do you why do you got to go negative? Because things never work out for you, Paul. Come on, look at you, pasty, dipping one ninety. You're only five nine for fuck's sake. Good God. Coming up. The Guess Who, rockin' the Quad Cities. I think I'm starting to force the the negative DJ voice in my head. Let's get to some surveys. This is from the Body Shame survey, and this is filled out by a guy who calls himself a rock star, and uh, or rocks tar, R O X T A R. I think he wants it pronounced rock star. Uh, what do you dis uh, dislike or like about your body? He writes like my eyes and my arms, the only two parts of my body uh, that more than one woman has complimented me on. Dislike my teeth. I look like a 16th century British peasant. I'm afraid to smile or laugh, but sometimes I can't help myself and I end up feeling really self-conscious. Also, I'd love to be able to put on a few pounds. I'm currently 5'9", 150 pounds, but that's more of a health thing than relating to my appearance. Well, I've got 40 pounds I'd be happy to share. Why don't you and I get into one of those time machines, you know, like in the fly where it fucks up and two things get melded together, and we'll be a 11-foot something, 340-pound uh, creature, and then we'll just have somebody uh, cleave us with an axe, and we'll go our separate ways. Nobody get hurt, 
Nobody get hurt. I'm a caveman all of a sudden. Nobody gets hurt. And, uh, and we're both happy. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself productively depressed. He is... How old is he? No response. Hiding his age from us. Uh, raised in a stable and safe environment. Uh, ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. From a young age, 8 to 11, I was shown sexually explicit content by a friend of a similar age. I don't know how exactly to feel about what happened. Have you ever been physically or emotionally abused? Uh, never been physically, but he has been emotionally abused. From a young age, I was bullied emotionally. I was overweight, and that was used to hurt me. This happened daily. Uh, from about fourth grade. I was unlike by most people. At one point, I accepted the fact that nobody would ever care about me. I felt my only value uh, as the butt uh, of my friends' jokes. And friends is in quotes. Any positive experiences with the abusers? My abuser became my drug dealer. I had to stay friends with him if I wanted pot. Um, it's sad that you couldn't have had that nourishing relationship that the rest of us had with our drug dealers. Um, what are your uh, darkest thoughts? I am not physically attracted to my girlfriend. I am with her because she is the one person who can see any value with me. Darkest secrets. I faked illness and concussions throughout school in order to hide my mental illness from parents, teachers, and adults. Oh, and he is uh, he is straight, by the way. I think I forgot to mention that. Uh, sexual fantasies. I want to have sex with my girlfriend's sister. Um, how does sharing that make you feel? I have never shared this. I would think that's a pretty common thing, and I wouldn't uh, get any as long as you're not, uh, you know, going. Hey, can I can I sit you two down? There's something I need to get off my chest. There's something I need to get off my pants. Uh, what if anything we'd like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I want to be more open with my therapist. Um, oh, please do. That's what they're for. They want to hear the stuff that's difficult to talk about. That's one of the reasons they got into it, is they're, they, I don't need to explain. You know. Uh, what if anything, I feel like you, the listener, and I are at that point in our relationship where we finish each other's sentences. We know just how much the other, uh, how much half and half to put in the other one's coffee. Mm. I hate myself so much. What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish I could be normal. There is no normal. There is no normal. That is, that is the great obsession of every person, is that there is, some, there is a normal that we're striving for. Uh, he's never shared these things with anybody, and he does feel a little bit better after writing these things down. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing that. This is an awful moment. Uh, you guys really came through on the uh, the awful moments and the happy moments this week, and that is like Christmas uh, to me. Millaby, who is gender fluid, uh, writes, A few years back, I ended up in hospital after taking an overdose. Within two hours of admission, two other people were admitted for the same thing. We were all in overnight waiting for test results to be assessed by the on-call psych. After a while, I convinced a nurse to let me go out for a smoke. The other two attempt 
attempted suicides joined me and a member of staff. We all got talking. Obviously, we were all in distress and struggling. It was a dark time for all of us, but somehow, over the course of the night, we cheered each other up. We called ourselves the Wednesday Night Suicide Club, agreed this this should be our only meeting, and spent the night laughing about the awful things we had all experienced. I don't think the medical staff knew what to do with us, giggling over our own rapes and illnesses, but I guess sometimes you just have to laugh. We did, and we all were discharged the next day. That's that's just textbook awfulsome right there. That's just textbook. It's weird because there's two different kinds of awfulsome. There's like a heartbreaking um, awfulsome, and then there's the just um, awkward, comedic uh, awfulsome. Thank you for the... Thank you for defining that for us, Paul. Otherwise, we were we were totally lost in the woods. Coming up, Neil Sedaka. I don't think Neil Sedaka is considered classic rock. This is a struggle in a sentence uh, filled out by Why Am I Up This Late? And she writes about her depression. I love this one. The kind of depression that excites you about going outside just to remind you that there is no way you're getting out of bed today. God, that is perfect. If I, that one almost seems like I've read it before. Maybe maybe because I live it every day. No, I do get out of bed. But that anxiety. Oh, when I open my eyes in the morning, it's just, oh, when am I going to fuck up? Oh. Snapshot from her life. Getting a call from my father asking why he received my medical bills that are over $5,000 and not once asking why I have medical bills in the first place. That is fucked up. Any comments to make the podcast better? Wondering if the radio DJ voice is a coping mechanism. It's a comedy coping mechanism, uh, if anything. And not too good of one at that. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by... What do you got to lash out, Paul? I'm just here. Just here to keep things moving. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by... I'm beginning to hate DJ voice. And I don't think I'm alone. Um, This was filled out by Buttercup in college. She is bisexual. She's 22. She was raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. She was the victim of sexual abuse and reported it. Uh, She writes, a classmate in college made sexual advances towards me, and we eventually did the deed. It was all very consensual until one day he wanted to do it, and I said no. He shoved his hands down my pants, feeling up my crotch, Uh, while I tried to push him off. I tried to keep a level head about it, and when he slightly backed off, I left the room. I had no idea how to feel about this because we had sexual acts together in the past, so who was I to say uh, no on this particular occasion, giving him no advances whatsoever? I didn't realize it was bothering me so much until I confided in a married friend who said that even in marriage, every sexual act must be consensual. It really opened my eyes. I had no idea. Should I just excuse his actions because he's a horny college kid? Is that an excuse? Thank you. Uh, thank you for sharing that. And I think what um, I think what that married friend said is is right. It it, it doesn't matter um, what your past is with that person. If you don't want to do it right then, um, then it's abusive. And it doesn't really matter what what was going on in his head. 
Um, whether he had any idea or not, it may, in terms of your relationship with him going on, if you somebody you still want to have contact with, but in terms of your healing, it's all about what, how it made you feel and how you're feeling about it today. Again, I am not a therapist, but I did make a Chinese chicken salad while we showed a Jackie Chan movie. And it was done with a, a certain gusto and a confidence that um, I think gives me the authenticity to comment on people's Dika Star. Oh, I was so close. I was so close to finishing up that joke. It's like I had written this beautiful letter and I was putting it in an envelope and then I got a paper cut on my tongue when I licked the envelope. Oh, Herbert, comfort me. Ivy's breath is so fucking bad, you can smell it from 10 feet away. It is so, I think because she had antibiotics when she was uh, uh, really, really little, and they said she's going to have bad teeth. And, um, or maybe because she's uh, part British. Mm, couldn't, couldn't let that one go by. But her breath is so bad. She thinks that she should go on America's Got Talent and uh, stand 20 feet away from the judges and have them smell how bad her breath is, but I keep telling her that that's not really considered a talent. But she's a dog. She doesn't know. But she is beautiful. Oh, shut up. Just just read the fucking survey. Agreed. She's never been physically abused. She has been emotionally abused. Uh, darkest thoughts. I'm ashamed to think that my life is any less than a good life. There are no extremes in my life. My parents aren't divorced, but their marriage isn't healthy. I'm not an alcoholic, but I definitely drink too much. I don't have any major physical health concerns, but I might if I keep on going like this. I'm ashamed of myself for not being strong enough to deal with just mildly terrible things. It doesn't it doesn't matter where things are in comparison to things that other people have experienced. What matters is how we feel about it and how much it's fucking with us. And uh, the biggest lie we tell ourselves is that I don't deserve compassion. I don't need to work on this. It's not worth talking to somebody about. Um, I'm being dramatic for crying about it. And unfortunately, there's a lot of parents that that reinforce that, that terrible, terrible lie. Darkest Secrets, I'm ashamed of my sexual fetish with medical role play, especially when it involves resuscitation. I feel as though I'm glorifying a person's death. I'm a nurse, and the actuality of a code blue can be gruesome. Being turned on by watching the chest compressions of the woman dying in front of me while I give IV push meds ordered by the head physician, question mark, I'm disgusting. I'm ashamed. Do you know how many of us are disgusted and ashamed of things that turn us on? That just happens to be the thing that the universe waved its magic wand uh, over you with. And please let your shame go. I'm sure there is somebody else out there, if not hundreds of thousands of people that are turned on by that same thing. Uh, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I think she just explained that. Uh, I just hope that I'm not alone. I really desperately do hope that I'm not alone. I don't think you are. I don't think you are. Have you shared these things with others? No, and I'm terrified to do so. Uh, how do you feel after writing these things down? The phrase, you do you, comes to mind. I'm only myself, just as I can only be myself. Agreed. Agreed. Maybe try going in the forum and opening up about it. 
because it's about it's about how you feel. It's the longer I'm alive and the longer I deal with oh, my sexuality and things that turn me on, things I'm not comfortable with, the more I realize it's not the things, it's making peace with the thing. And as long as you're not hurting somebody, if you're not interfering with with that woman's um uh care or that per whoever that person is that care who, who cares if if it doesn't matter if you're getting turned on that doesn't matter as long as you are doing your job this is an awful moment i love this name deflated blow up doll and uh, she writes, in my mid-twenties, in full swing of my active addiction to alcohol, I discovered most of my hangover symptoms would be alleviated by taking DayQuil. One morning as I was getting out of bed, having taken DayQuil the night before, which in combination with the dehydration for drinking every night for about five years, had caused a massive nosebleed. I looked at my face covered in blood in the mirror and laughed like an insane person. I realized in that moment that I was okay with my abuser being me. Thank you for that. Wow, that is an image. That is an image. Um, oh, and this is uh, her struggle in a sentence. Uh, about her depression, realizing that the slowest way to kill yourself is by living. That's heavy. That is heavy. About her sex addiction, an itch that is unscratchable. Um, and then a snapshot from her life. When one of the aunts who married into my family found her nephew, my cousin, trying to put his hand down my pants, she laughed and ran out into the house yelling, kissing cousins, kissing cousins. And everyone else laughed and acted like it wasn't super fucked up. And the fact that it was a boy significantly older and bigger uh, than me wasn't something that should be investigated, even if it was just kissing. That That is one of that... The picture of your of that aunt running around yelling kissing cousins uh, is so disturbing that to me is more disturbing than than the 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 other thing um, it's just and even more than it being disturbing it's it's so uh I know is lame the word uh, dorky that's it it's your 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 aunt has managed to be dorky and abusive at the same time that's that's what struck me you got to try really hard to be a dork while you're being abusive mission accomplished auntie this is a shame and secret survey filled out by Darno and he's straight in his 20s, raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. He's never been sexually abused. Um, not sure if he's ever been physically or emotionally. He writes, I'm the youngest of my siblings, and my brother, six years older, beat me up a lot. I know that's normal, but it typically became much more than that. I don't bruise easily, and I have a very high pain tolerance now because of him. But I find I loathe him now, uh, even now that we are older. Any positive experiences? I had a typical big brother and young brother experiences with him, but it's all overshadowed by how much I hate him for torturing me. Darkest thoughts. I find myself thinking about the clarity and relief I'd get from being diagnosed with a terminal illness or dying in an accident. Darkest secrets. I've gotten drunk on several occasions and pretended to need to go to the hospital or to be in a convulsive state 
or cheated on a girlfriend and pretended I didn't remember any of it when in fact I did. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Cheating on my current girlfriend while sober and having a complete side relationship. This fills me with guilt and self-loathing and makes me wish I could let my girlfriend go instead of fantasizing about someone else. You know, I think it's it's to what degree are you are you doing this fantasizing? If it's interfering with your life and it's a problem, but I think most people in relationships at some point um, have fantasies about other people. I think that's just human. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I'd like to tell my family, no. I don't feel like I've fully grown up because I'm constantly jumping through hoops to do things for my mom or sisters when I'd rather just tell them to fuck off and get busy living, uh, tell them fuck off and, and get busy living my own life. Isn't that weird how hard it can be to just say no? What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish for myself to quit my terrible habits and finally do something to make myself happy with myself. I wish I could come home and work out, then work on the book I've been telling my friends about for years that hasn't even been started instead of sitting on the couch, eating fast food instead of cooking and watching movies that I've already seen. I think you just described 90% of our lives. Uh, if you just replace, uh, for me, uh, movies with documentaries uh, or the game Civilization, which, by the way, I've been playing six nights in a row from roughly 10 o'clock at night till six in the morning. So if anybody out there is feeling shame about being compulsive and wasting time, uh, I've been sitting here in the dark with my headphones on, listening to the Beatles in the background uh, on shuffle while I parade around a digital globe as Genghis Khan and stealing people's resources. And it feels fucking amazing. It is like a dopamine waterfall. When I take another city that has like gems, or maybe they have oil or aluminum, and my civilization doesn't have that yet, and now I can build stealth bombers and rain terror. <laughs> Why do I need people when I can control that? I don't need to talk to you. You might have needs. Sorry for those of you with misophonia. I just drank my tea. Very close to the microphone. This is a happy moment filled out by not just a dispatcher. I said that weird. Not just a dispatcher. It feels like I'm saying that wrong. Dispatcher. Dispatcher. Uh, here's her happy moment. I lost my first amateur MMA fight, but it was a fantastic experience. I had been around boxing my entire life, and I accidentally stumbled into an MMA team about a year ago. They quickly became my family. When my job as a police dispatcher burned me out to the point I broke down and cried, at practice, they were there for me. I came to realize that my team made me better at work. All of the adrenaline and frustration and uncertainty that came with my job dissipated with every punch I threw, kick I blocked, or arm bar I defended. A few days ago, I had my first fight. The crowd cheered for my opponent. She was the local favorite, and she was very talented. At the end of three two-minute rounds, she won. I was a formidable, formidable opponent. The crowd cheered for her, but talked about me. 
I was tougher than expected. I made it a fight. I did a good job. Before I got into the cage, one of my coaches told me, I've been around this sport a long time. If I didn't believe you could do something special in this sport, you wouldn't be getting in there. When the fight ended and the referee raised my opponent's hand, I finally understood what my coach had said, and I believed him. That is so beautiful. I love anything that involves compassion, self-love, and blood. This is the Shame and Secret survey filled out by... (laughs) I've reached the end of my tether and now I'm going to hang myself with it. Only on this, only on this podcast. Uh, actually, there's probably other podcasts that have names like that, but, um, he is a trans male. He is 15. Uh, he was raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. Um, ever been the victim of sexual abuse some stuff happened but i don't know if it counts i wanted to be like a normal girl i didn't want to feel like a boy so i let this neighborhood neighborhood kid do stuff to me when i was seven years old i can't remember much i don't want to it wasn't me it happened to just some dumb little girl i created like an altar who doesn't exist thankfully it's me now um He has been physically abused and emotionally abused. Ever since I was little, dad would hit me and then I'd have to apologize for provoking him. He'd act like nothing happened. My mother is such a narcissist, I don't care what happens to her and haven't for years. Since I was 13 and I finally accepted, she was not the lie I created in my head of a loving parent. Paul, I relate to you so hard when you talk about the guilt and how you feel about your mother. It's not your fault. Back when I tried to trust her and pretended... We were like a normal family. I told her I wanted to kill myself, and she always made it about herself. One time, she said, You don't think I feel like this when I was. You don't think I didn't feel like this when I was your age? When my friend came out as trans, um, and then in parentheses, I am female to male also, his mother called mine and complained. I was brainwashing and alienating her kid. My mom said I should stop making people uh, trying to be like me because I'm not that special. Wow, your mom can pack some cunt into a sentence. Holy shit. That, I think she has like one of those, uh, I think she has one of those things that takes the air out of things so that you can, you can pack it more tightly. Wow. Uh, all my life I remember my parents calling me autistic even though I'm not. Uh, Spoiled brat, shithead, cunt, stupid, useless, freak, lady man, you're so weird. My dad said he wanted to put me in a mental institution, and he recently hit me twice and threatened to break my fucking nose. Before I accepted my mom was not really a good parent and I'd been lying to myself, I always used to tolerate her being rude to me about my being transgender because she always told me I'm so lucky to have her because she's so accepting of me. I'm now 15 and I realize she's just a narcissistic bitch and I need to protect myself. My 23-year-old brother still lives with us and is an arrogant dickhead half the time. He also feels the need to comment on everything I do and belittle me. Any positive experiences with the abusers? Yeah, my dad is the only person in the family who supports me being a boy and calls me by my chosen name and says he loves me. It's so fucking confusing and it feels like I can't say anything bad to his face because he's the only one who supports my being transgender. But you know, you're more than just being transgender. 
you deserve more than somebody just accepting your gender. You know, that's how brainwashed people can get by being raised in a narcissistic, abusive environment, is that they see a scrap and they go, oh, a banquet. Uh, Let's see. Darkest thoughts. Basically violence, more violence. Sometimes my rage is all there is to me. I just want to take the baseball bat in my room and cave my parents' skulls in and then shoot myself with a gun, uh, in parentheses, that I don't have, to end this in the most cathartic way possible. Darkest secrets. When I was five years old, I used to draw pictures of people being tortured, usually me, in a female body, which I hated, which was probably why I tortured it. Ha ha. I stopped once a friend found the pictures. She told me it was weird. I didn't understand at the time, believe it or not, but now, of course, I get it. Uh, Oh, and as far as uh, his sexuality, I don't know. I'm not interested in sex, I figure, because I'm young. I am romantically attracted to girls, though. Um, What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I'd punch both my parents in the face and say, fuck you, you sacks of shit, and then I'd give them 10 gram heroin overdoses, uh, psilocybin mushrooms, then I'd give them 10 G heroes dose, psilocybin mushrooms in the hopes, I think there must be a typo in there unless heroes dose is uh, something in the hopes that somehow the psychedelic trip will make them realize what dicks they've been and apologize and I forgive them as long as it's a genuine apology. What, if anything, do you wish for? What's impossible to be cis, to go back and do it all over again, to have a normal childhood with normal emotional development so I wouldn't be all quiet, borderline, and shit. I would hold on to the friends I've lost and be physically tall and strong enough to punch my dad in the head if he hits me again. Have you shared these things with others? I can't share them with anyone. What's the point? I don't want to. Even if I did, nowhere is safe. How do you feel after writing these things down? Catharsis and rage. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Hit that gym and smack a bitch down. (laughs) Oh, buddy, I just want to give you a hug. I just want to give you a hug. It is not going to be this way forever. I know it fucking sucks that you are stuck in this house. I know it fucking sucks. But just hang in there. And you're not alone. I know it feels like you're alone. Maybe maybe join the forum and um, find some support there. You know, if you live in a decent-sized city or town, maybe there's a, a support group um, uh, for teens who have uh, abusive parents. Um, I've heard good things about... Um, I think it's sometimes called ACA. Sometimes it's called ACOA. It's a 12-step group, um, which is for adult children of uh, alcoholics or dysfunction. And I've heard good things about it. I've never, I've never been, but it might be something to check out. This is a happy moment filled out by Just a Guy. And he writes, uh, I was born with a skin condition that leaves me with very little body hair. Around puberty, this became a point of shame and fear. My lack of pubes combined with being a late bloomer left me worried that there was something wrong with my body's sexual development. I was, in fact, normal and healthy 
sans pubes. Still, like many men, I spent much of my life worried about my penis size, sexual prowess, etc. The other day, however, I had sex with my wife, and I really kicked ass at it. We're talking five-star performance. Afterwards, as I walked to the bathroom, I caught a glimpse of my naked self in the full-length mirror by my door. Having recently lost about 25 pounds, dick still at attention, I thought to myself, perhaps for the first time, man, I have a nice dick. It wasn't bigger than it had been most of my life, but for once, I didn't see any lack or deficiency to it. I was actually proud of it. I have a big dick, Paul. These days, I'm even confident I know what I'm doing with it. I have to say, it feels good to finally let go of those years of worry and anxiety and just relax. I'm okay. My dick is okay. I think everything is going to be okay. I love that. And I love that you mentioned me by, na- mentioned me by name. <laughs> Again. Paper cut as I'm putting the envelope together. I'm just flattered to be mentioned by name while you're talking about your dick. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by, love this name, useless bag of me. You guys are the best. He is in his 30s, raised in a stable and safe environment. He's never been sexually abused, but he has been emotionally abused. Uh, Not intentional emotional abuse from my family. I have a big family, and throughout the years, it was hard for them to work all the time as well as support five kids. And being the youngest out of the five, I felt left out, alone, and just shut out from social life. Even when I was a little child, my earliest memories of moments in life experiences have always had dread attached to them. So whenever I look back, I feel like it's a sad memory. Any positive experiences with your abusers? My parents, as well as my siblings, have been there for me and supported me no matter what I needed. But it was because I was so closed off that they couldn't possibly know what was going on inside my head or find a way to help me or make me feel better. Darkest thoughts. I feel like... Like I could have my life together and be happy and then just want to fucking die in a heartbeat. My extreme emotional unbalance has always been there for me and always will be. My darkest thoughts are of me crying myself until I die of old age. This world is so dark and horribly realistic sometimes where I feel like sleep is better than being awake. I just want to fucking die and rot in the ground and allow life to go on not giving a shit about me. Dude, that sounds like... Like depression, and who knows, maybe bipolar. Maybe that's the, the, the mood swings. Um, anyway, continuing. Uh, darkest secrets, I'm a liar. I tell everyone what they want to hear and then hate myself for not standing up for what I want. I'm never honest about my feelings because my feelings are dark and messed up. No one will get me. My secret is I have been lying about who I really am my whole life. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Uh... I want to be gang-banged and throat-fucked by every kind of masculine man, hairy, and balls deep in my throat and every other hole. I want to fill my insides with their cum and have them choke me and fuck me like I was all there is just for that moment. Dude, I want to give you a trophy for uh, just just not holding back. They're just... the. What, what's the word that I'm looking for? Um, pep? Pep doesn't seem to, to, to quite cover it, but um, yeah. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? To my dad, 
I know that I've always been known as the quiet child, quiet child, but I just want to sit down with you and ask you all about your life and how you got to where you are now and what you felt at every moment and how it shaped you into the person you are now. I also want to say that I'm sorry if you ever saw me as weak or an uninspired person. I was just struggling mentally and I couldn't match up to the standards of the family. What if anything do you wish for? I wish I could find someone that will love me as much as I will love them. More importantly, I want to be in love with that person and not change my mind the next day. I think I think the 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 big goal for you is going to be self-love because I think until you can love yourself and I know this sounds so fucking cheesy I think it, any relationship is is either going to be disappointing or smothering um, on, on your part and um, because you're going to be looking for that person to, to fill something in you and that's not a good place to come into a relationship from and um yeah, I hope you're seeing a therapist or, or going to a support group. How do you feel after writing these things down? I feel the same, still lonely and sad. Um, have you shared these things with others? In conversation over the past with my friends, I have discussed certain things that I would like and certain things that scare me, but nothing too serious and nothing too dark. That's why a support group would be so good. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Just remember... Whenever it gets to that time or you feel like the world is just too much, just remember that everyone deserves a chance at life and a chance to find out why they are here. Agreed. Agreed. Thank you for that, man. That really moved me. That really moved me. And again, if we get a uh, survey, a uh, a trophy ground up for... Um, sexual uh, sexual uh, fantasy uh, description um, there's a word I'm looking for and I can't figure out what the fuck it is it's not passion it's uh, pep was all I could come up with and it's it's not cunning it's not cunning it Herbert help me this is a happy moment filled out by uh, a woman who calls herself hardcore polka and she writes, my godfather was and still likely is out of his tree slash batshit crazy. He spent most of his adult life in either a penitentiary or a psych ward. He also was the only person in my life that was fearless. Fearless is in all caps. And I truly believe the only person, I'm only 90% and I truly believe, oh, the only reason uh, I'm only 90% crippled by anxiety. When I was 9 or 10 on vacation with him, he decided we were going fishing. Like most of my stories with him, it begins with, don't tell your mother. Fishing turned out to be poaching from a stock, stocked pond owned by a neighbor. As the neighbor was shooting a shotgun over our heads, and I'm running like hell for home, he's picking up the fishing poles and laughing his ass off. Fantastic. There's nothing like a good older relative. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself could really go for a Milky Way right now, 69. I love that you threw the 69 in there. She is 
pansexual in her 30s, raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Um, she's never been sexually abused. She has been physically and emotionally abused. Both of my parents were emotionally abusive. I no longer have contact with my father. I endure it and practice trying to have healthy boundaries with my mother. My father was physically abusive to me and my two younger brothers growing up. Once I got old enough to defend myself, it didn't stop. I called the police once, but when they got there, they just said there was nothing they could do because he was my father and he had a right to discipline me. Jesus. I don't know. Maybe I have marks that weren't bad enough. One day, someone at my high school must have noticed my bruises and someone called CPS. They came to my school and went to my little brother's schools to interview them. Once I got home, I knew that they would be coming to talk to my parents. This terrified me because I knew exactly what would happen. My little brothers lied to CPS. My parents lied also. Then I got beat up and screamed at. How do I feel about it? I feel bad for my younger self. I want to give myself a hug. It disgusts me that a grown man who used to be a boxer would beat up little kids and call it discipline. And I'm still angry with both my parents, especially my mom, for not getting us the hell out of there. I guess once when I was about three, she caught my dad beating me with a leather belt and he stopped using the belt after that. That must be one of the earliest memories because I still remember being beaten like that with the belt. What three-year-old could possibly deserve that? What can I possibly have done to anger him so much? Also, my ex-husband raped me while we were married. He also installed keylogger software on my computer so that he could spy on me. He told me that he was a good husband because he never hit me. The amount of feelings that I have about all of that could fill a book, so I'll just move on. Any positive experiences with the abusers? Of course. My parents, in a way, tried their best. I have more positive experiences surrounding my mother, and maybe that's why I keep her around. I feel bad for her, but I don't feel bad for my dad. Although my mother is still emotionally abusive, I also still love her. And I think she tries to be loving, but she is just too messed up to do it right. With my ex, there was love there initially. I think it started to die around the time he raped me, and the controlling behaviors really took off. I was with him for about eight years before things got really scary. Then we got married and stayed together for another four years. That was really dumb of me. Darkest thoughts. Oh, I have a few. I get weird, intrusive thoughts that are sexual about my dad. Gross. I hate that. Thanks, brain. Thankfully, they are fleeting and they don't cause me a lot of stress. The next one needs some setup to explain. I'm in love with someone, but he does not love me. For the last year or so, I've had a fantasy that he would kill me and then dismember and eat me. I want so much to be a part of him, to be a part of his life. I want to help him. I want to nurture and nourish and love him. And all the feelings I have for him and our relationship get all twisted around and perverted until I come to the cl conclusion of, well, then I hope he extin extinguishes my life, cuts me up, and eats me. I hope I taste good to him, and I don't want him to get caught. I don't want anyone to miss me. I just want to bleed and blend into him. Part of this is wrapped up in my intense desire to feel close to someone. And how much closer can you get than that? To literally become another person through them consuming you. That is something I am ashamed of thinking about. Nevertheless, it is very powerful to me. I drunkenly admitted this to him one night, and he didn't seem too shocked by it. I wonder if he even remembers since he was drunk, too. Finally, as if all that wasn't enough, I have sexual fantasies about being humped by a dog. They make dildos shaped like dog penises, so I know I can't be alone in this. In fact, I have a friend who has similar fantasies, and 
he is the only one I've ever shared this with until now, but it's still pretty gross and makes me feel yucky to admit it. I think most of us feel yucky when we when we share our sexual fantasies because we are so afraid of being abandoned, judged. Uh, darkest secrets. When I was really young, I did some little kid not knowing what they were doing stuff to my younger brothers when we were left alone in the bathtub. I would put my mouth over their genitals. Why did I do that? I don't know what I was doing, but something compelled me to do it. Curiosity, maybe? I have no idea. I must have known that that doing that was wrong since I waited until we were alone? Or do I just not really remember if my mom said something to me about it? Maybe she did. The memories are hazy. I was very young, but at some point I stopped, maybe around five years old. Although my parents had us taking baths together way past when they should have. I remember being nine when it stopped. The bathing, I mean. I think I got my period the same year. Christ, that's weird to admit to someone. I've also had two abortions, one when I was 17, and I don't feel conflicted about it. It was absolutely 100% the right thing to do, but the other was when I was 31 and I was married. I'd been on Klonopin when I got pregnant, and I know that it can cause birth defects. Also, the same day that I had the second abortion, I put my husband at the time on an airplane to New Mexico, and I stayed behind in Nevada because of my job. It took me 14 months to get a transfer to somewhere where we could live together long story about why we couldn't live together in Nevada, but he couldn't deal with the elevation as the short version. I often wonder if he would have been transferred sooner if I had kept the baby, but since we divorced 18 months after the abortion, I guess it doesn't matter. But we would have gotten the divorce if I had kept the baby? Question mark. What about the birth defects? Question mark. I obviously feel much more conflicted over the second abortion. Uh, sexual fantasies, uh, most powerful to you. I went back and a and it erased what I put here. Gah. Uh, my favorite porn subjects are anal, fisting, and outdoor slash public porn. I love sharing sexual thoughts and fantasies, except for the ones I described earlier. Does the fact that they are shameful uh, to me make them more powerful? Uh, I, th- I think it does. There's a book um, by a guy named Jack Morin, M-O-R-I-N, um, ab- about that very, very thing. Uh, continuing, I don't know, but I don't think so. I am much more likely to think about and act upon the fantasies that I don't feel uncomfortable sharing. Uh, I think I also like to share them with people to see if it shocks them. I like to challenge people's assumptions about me, and most do not assume that I am into BDSM group sex and that I post videos, pictures, and write about all of it online. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I would like I would share the last 15 years of my life with my little brother who died in a car accident in 2001. I miss him so much. I hope that he would be proud of me. I have dreams about doing this pretty often. What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish for a Disneyland vacation. Have you shared these things with others? I've shared some of it with many and some of it with no one. Some has come out in therapy and counseling sessions. It has generally gone okay. I don't like making people feel bad for me when I mention the abuse. How do you feel after writing these things down? I'm happy to share, but I'm glad this is anonymous. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Please, if you haven't yet, seek therapy or counseling if you are struggling. I don't know that many who have shared my experiences would come out of it with healthy coping mechanisms in place. Agreed. Agreed. And, you know, you said, I don't like making people feel bad for me when I mention the abuse. 
you know, if you don't talk to anybody about it, you're also, especially somebody who's close to you, you're denying them the chance to be a good friend to you and to feel um, like they're helping you, which is, I think, one of the most beautiful genetic impulses we have in us. This is uh, from the vacation argument uh, survey, and this is filled out by CJ. And she writes, in the late 80s, my boyfriend of three years and I took a road trip to a particular city, something we did almost every weekend. As usual, we grabbed some Chinese food and checked into a cheap little motel for the night. This particular night, all of the light bulbs in the room were missing or burned out except for one. At his request, I unscrewed the one working light bulb and was going to put it into the lamp by his side of the bed. As soon as I unscrewed it from the lamp, I dropped it and it broke. He was livid. A big fight ensued and he was so mad he almost took a cab 200 miles back home without me. I convinced him to stay until morning, at which time we drove home in silence he moved out a few days later. <laughs> oh, that picture of you, <laughs> you dropping the bulb, the sound of you dropping the bulb in the dark is just so fantastic. That is just so fantastic. These are like little movies that you guys send in that make me so happy. You know, I say that when people ask me how many meds I take, I I don't know, I, I think it's four that I take. Uh, I should really include awful some moments uh, as the fifth one and happy moments. This is from the uh, young male abused by older female uh, survey, and he calls him that guy with the mother issues. He is... Um, Gay, but almost completely asexual. Um, he's in his 20s. And he writes, uh, When I was 12, I was molested by my mother's carer, who was in her late 30s. It was at a Halloween party thrown by my mother, and she followed me into my bedroom, pushed me up against a wall with her body against me, and tried very forcefully to kiss me and touch in a way that was 100% not okay or casual or consensual. Throughout my whole life, my mother has over-sexualized me, and often her friends would too. So her carer, so visibly being interested in me, didn't raise any red flags. One of her female friends walked into the bathroom when I was taking a bath and proceeded to sit on the closed toilet seat and just strike up a conversation with me. She must have been in her 40s, and I was about 11, I think. I just remember feeling very vulnerable and trying to cover my nakedness. My mother was covertly incestuous and used to do things like give my friends lap dances when they would come over to my house and talk about what famous people she fucked in the 70s when she was a groupie. This happened my whole childhood. So from my age of from like 9 to 18, she would have been in her late 40s and early 50s. Um... Did you ever tell anyone? No, never. I didn't even realize I suffered abuse until I got help in my late 20s. Um, what feelings come up remembering this? I feel sick. Women's bodies send me into PTSD spirals. Women hitting on me does the same. I freak out. Um, do you feel any damage was done? Yes, huge damage. While I am a 
I am happy living as a gay male. I don't think my sexual interest would be just for men had I not suffered my childhood. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. It, um, we still have such a long way to go and people understanding the dynamic between older females and inappropriately young males. Um, this is a happy moment filled out by uh, the lie that never stopped talking. And he writes, after listening to uh, the podcast for three straight days at work, I finally swallowed my self-shame and opened up to my wife again after coming out of an almost year-long depressive cycle. She opened up with me as well, and we had an intimate and emotional discussion for close to five hours straight. When we finally went to bed, to bed, we had the most passionate and loving sex that we've had in years. My depression had led to an erectile dysfunction and premature ejaculation, which had been a huge blow to my pride. But after getting out all of my shame and problems, I was able to perform and thoroughly satisfy my wife again. We have continued to be more open with each other and continue to have passionate sex. Wow, I should have ended on that one. That is amazing. That is amazing. Thank you for that. Um, this is a shame and secret survey filled out by um, a trans woman um, a gender weird trans woman uh, who calls herself Coral Q-O-R-A-L and she is in her 20s um, a lesbian but extends to everyone that aligns with women or is femme even if only even if only sometimes uh, she was raised in a totally chaotic environment uh, have you ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Yes, and I never reported it. My father used to walk around naked and shit with the door open. There's a movie. I don't want a ticket to. Uh, when anyone asked him to stop, he would start yelling about how he paid for the house so he could do what he wanted. You know, the 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 siren song of the shitty parent is the comeback because I'm the parent or because I earn the money, because I'm your mom, because I'm your dad. That is... Ugh. Um, oh, hold on, music. I'm not ready for you yet. Uh, this is a lie. My mother was always the primary earner, and he made almost no money. When I was 13, he made me shower with him several times until my mother found out and stopped it. This is one of the few times my mother ever stepped in and stopped the abuse. I've been raped by nearly every intimate partner I've ever had. Most were just bad consent practices. I knew what she was doing and didn't care about my boundaries or consent. Um... She has been physically and emotionally abused. My father used to yell and scream for hours on end. It would start with something relevant, then quickly go off into nonsense. I haven't spoken to him in six years. He used to slap me so hard in the head I would vomit. The first time this happened was when I was 10, I think. When I was four, he threatened to kill me because he thought I was trying to see my mother changing. I was waiting for someone to get the cereal down from the top shelf. I wish I could remember which cereal it was. If my sister and I were fighting, he would slam our heads together. He would spank us so hard that we would have bruises for weeks and sometimes bleed because the skin broke. In grade 11, a friend and I came home early because we had a free 
block at the end of the day. We made cupcakes and were going to take them to a friend's birthday party that was starting after school let out. He came out before we left and started yelling at me because he thought I was skipping school and wouldn't let me explain. He also ridiculed my friend then threw the cupcakes into the backyard. I later had to clean them up and I wasn't allowed to go to the party. Any positive experiences? There was never a happy day that wasn't tainted by him. The only truly happy family vacation I can think of is the first one my mother, sister, and I took without him after the divorce. Darkest thoughts. I think about hurting others when I'm upset or frustrated. I'm on the edge of a meltdown, and in public, I think about mass violence and murder in order to force myself to to dissociate so strangers don't see me at my most vulnerable. Darkest secrets. I've hurt too many of my friends and don't deserve their forgiveness. Everybody deserves forgiveness. Um... Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Um, Sitting on people's faces and having other women sit on my face. I would like to be in a threesome with two other women, one on my dick and one on my face. Uh, I'd also like to be fucked in the ass by a woman while going down on another. I want to piss on my partner and then have them piss on me. To come on each other's faces and chests, then wash it away with the piss. While fucking, I want someone to choke me and not let me breathe until after I come in a safe and consensual way. I'd like to tie up and hurt a little twinky trans boy, not meaning a child, though. What, if anything, do you wish for? Um, and by the way, I'm going to put that that one up there with uh, with our, our earlier survey as vying for, for the trophy of, uh, again, the word I can't think of. Um, and pep is not the word, but it's the closest one that I can think. Um, I love when you guys um, don't hold back. I just love it. That's why I created this survey. And when you take advantage of that in a good way and just let it fly, it helps the rest of us. It helps the rest of us. It helps. Um, it helps. What, if anything, do you wish for? To be happy and stable. To be able to recognize my own achievements consistently. To help others and allow myself to be helped. I'm closer to this than I've ever been, and I'm not fucking giving up. I'll fail again, but I'll get up again, too. How do you feel after writing these things down? Uh, Tired. Uh, I've shared some of them with my counselor. What would you like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? It's fucking so hard to just go on every day and not every day is better but it can get better you just have to keep fighting and the days you just want to give up remember how much you've already fought and overcame that is such a beautiful survey coral that is so you just um you you sound like you have so much pain and so many wounds but there is a light inside you that reading your survey just sound it just sounds like it is um, undeniable and it's getting stronger. That's that's what I get. You know, from the end of your survey, that the fierceness of your desire to heal is is like the 
greatest gift that we can get from the universe. One of my friends in the support group tonight said, um, the desire to get better is really grace. It's the universe's grace. And um, as many shitty hands as you have been dealt, that's, that is a good card to be dealt, is that determination. This is a vacation argument um, <laughs> filled out by Tender Vittles. And she writes, when I was 24, my new boyfriend came to meet me in Europe and we set off on a two-month-long bike trip. Um, we bought our 1970s folding bikes from a flea market. So, you know what? Right there is an awful moment. Anything involving 1970s folding bikes. <laughs> I don't know if you guys ever saw those. Haida Bikes was the name of the brand that a guy on our block had. And the only thing that they were good for is we would ride them without linking the two pieces together. So the back end would swing around and the, and, and both tires would be almost neck and neck with each other. And you'd basically be riding a bike sideways, which would last for about 10 feet and then you'd wipe out. But we made each other laugh. Anyway, continuing. The trip was extremely rocky. We'd spent a total of about two weeks together before that point. <laughs> What are you doing going on a bike trip to Europe when you've known each other for two weeks? I just learned to ride a bike the year before. Oh, this is so fantastic. We couldn't speak the languages of the countries we were traveling through, and we had very limited funds and equipment even before we got robbed. Someone actually thought we were homeless once and tossed us a euro. Starting one night, the arguments came thick and fast. Too many to list. To top it all off, about four weeks in, I realized I'd gotten pregnant. Obviously, a fight ensued. My boyfriend wanted me to get an abortion then and there. We were in Slovakia, and while they could have a perfectly great health care system, I didn't feel comfortable, nor did I want to recover from that while cycling for 10 hours a day. We had to use the last of our money to get to the airport we were flying out of and change our tickets so I could go home and get the abortion. That left us with about 12 euros and three days to kill in the airport. Things were tense, to say the least. Our clothes were filthy. We were scraping by for meals. We couldn't shower. My shoes were held together with hair elastics, and it was impossible to find a comfortable place to sleep. That led to the culminating argument of the trip. I'd finally found a bench in a quiet corner and was drifting off for the first time in two days. For some reason, in that particular spot, there were a lot of flies, and they kept landing on me. My boyfriend wouldn't stop shaking me to get them off. I was losing it. I didn't give a shit if they landed on me. I just wanted to sleep. He started yelling that I looked like a corpse, and it was freaking him out. He would not, quote, get over it as I directed. I guess he won the argument by making such a scene that it was impossible to sleep anyway. That was almost 10 years ago, and we had many, many more arguments before we split up, but that one still ignites a special little anger in, uh, anger in me. At the same time, I got a laugh. I think it's a bit awfulsome. That is one of the best slash worst vacation vignettes I have ever that is, if I saw that in a movie, I would be like, oh, that, that could never happen. And then finally, we have a, a um, happy moment, uh, the hat trick by Deflated Blow-Up Doll. And um, I just love this one. 
And uh, she writes, I'm three. I'm the oldest, and it's just me and my parents. They each take one of my hands as we walk from the car to the grocery store. As they each count to three, they pick me up and swing me in between them. It was such a strange sense of freedom connected to both of them and swinging through the air between them. Love it. God, I just love those moments when when that the family is just connected and present and nobody's trying to change anybody. And you know what I'm saying. Well, I hope you heard something tonight. <clears throat> My voice is starting to go. I think I'm doing the DJ voice too much. Anyway, I hope you heard something tonight that, that resonated with you, that maybe made a light bulb go off in your head, um, brought you comfort, made you laugh, gave you a good cathartic cry, maybe gave you a little gas, a little bubble of gas in your lower belly. You know, one of those, one of those bubbles that you can, you can feel it working its way to your butthole. Almost seems like I'm going to start talking about Herbert right now, but I'm not going to. That that would be minimizing Herbert's place in the universe by reducing to him him to to just another butthole. Herbert is more than just another butthole. He's a fine man. <laughs> Why do I have such trouble wrapping this shit up? Anyway, I hope you heard something tonight that helped you. And um, it helps me. It helps me so much to to be heard by you guys. You know, it really helped me, to be honest, last week about how much I was struggling. And um, to be reminded that I'm not alone. You would think, as the host of this podcast, I would have that thought firmly entrenched in my mind 24 hours a day, but I don't. I don't. And um, I'm just so happy to to have this way to connect and Feel a part of something. Ugh, I'm getting sappy. Go work out your gas bubble. You're not alone. <laughs> that sounded a little... That sounded... Uh... Oh my God, I'm rubbing my nipple. We gotta end on that. <laughs> Thanks for listening, and uh, go fuck yourself. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.